Welcome to From Earning to Learning, the podcast where we talk about all things education. I'm your host, Dave Franjosen. Welcome to episode six of From Earning to Learning. I'm Dave Franjosa. In this episode, I'm going to address rubrics. I was completely unfamiliar with rubrics until I started teaching. They weren't something that any of my teachers used as I was going through school. However, when I started teaching, the school that I was at required them for all major assignments. Their rationale was that students needed concrete guidance on what was expected. And I mean, I actually get that and I agree with it, but I had some concerns with rubrics and I was never really a fan of them. First, they seem prescriptive to me. Here are all the things that need to be included to collect this number of points. It always felt more like a checklist to me. Now, I know there are ways to develop rubrics that provides um, guidance without being prescriptive, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But with these rubrics, I found that I was getting 25 of the same submission. I tried to incorporate creativity and originality into the rubric to get students to take some risks. It didn't work, and the criteria were so subjective that it kind of felt arbitrary. Had a lot of conversations with colleagues um, who are opposed to rubrics for the exact same reasons. So as an alternative to these traditional rubrics, I've seen the popularity of single point rubrics grow. And a quick summary for those who are unfamiliar with a single point rubric, a single point rubric outlines the requirements for proficiency on an assignment. They use various terms for work that falls below or exceeds the standard. You may see things like uh, the glows and the grows or uh, concerns and advanced or areas of opportunity and evidence of exceeding, uh, things like that. These are definitely not as prescriptive as traditional rubrics, but they're not without their challenges. In my opinion, they don't provide enough guidance for our striving learners. This population needs more discrete steps towards achievement. It's not enough to say, this is the expectation, and here are all the ways that you fall short. This provides these students with an immense burden of all the things that they need to fix to get to average. While the intention is good, the unintended consequences are real. Aside from this, it feels to me like this is an easy way to justify a grade. I outline the expectation, and here are all the ways you've either exceeded it or fallen short. Now, if this were used in a formative setting where the only thing students were receiving was that feedback, that would be more acceptable in my mind, but it would still fall short of providing the discrete steps that our striving learners need. Now, I'll preface this by saying I am absolutely biased here because the method I'm about to share is the one that I use, but it makes sense to me. <clears throat> it provides concrete guidance and it isn't prescriptive. So what I'm talking about is a concept that I refer to as learning progressions. <clears throat> So what is a learning progression? It's a pathway to skill development. 
every content area has skill standards in their federal and state standards. Developing these skills will allow students to engage more deeply with the content. This has the added benefit of shifting the focus away from the grade. So students start asking questions about how can they improve this skill as opposed to, well, what did I get on this assignment? So what does this look like? Well, we identified all the skills that students needed to be successful in our course, and we created specific benchmarks and language that will help guide them there. So to make these benchmarks and to make the intervals consistent across all standards, we used reference words like try, explain, explicit, correct, uh, complete or complex to guide uh, the development of our language for each of these benchmarks. So how do we implement these learning progressions into our course? Well, once they're established, we only reveal our targeted level of development based on the practice we're providing for our students. For example, in the beginning of the year, when students haven't had an opportunity to practice a skill yet, we only expect them to try. So that's the only level that's revealed on that rubric. As the year progresses and they've had practice and received feedback, we reveal the subsequent levels. Now, these aren't done at predetermined times. The levels are unlocked after we've assessed that the majority of students are ready to move on to that next developmental level. If a student's ready to approach that next developmental level ahead of the rest of the class, well, we know what's coming next, so we coach them to that level. All right. However, we don't reveal it, so we don't put any undue pressure on the rest of the students. We don't make them feel like they're behind or that they, they need to rush their learning. So all students are working on how to improve their skills to their next developmental level, whatever that is. So with a diverse group of learners in our classes, this is a great way to differentiate without identifying or alienating anyone in the class. All students are working on the same assignments. The difference is the support of those assignments varies. In the next episode, I'll detail how we create these learning progressions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback. For more resources, visit www.reimagineschools.com or reach out to me on Twitter at David Franjoso.